In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I open up the listener mailbag, going over questions ranging from Tobias Harris, his strong start to the season, and whether or not that recalibrates our expectations of him. Danny Green, his struggles, and whether or not he could be washed. Seth Curry's long-term role with the Sixers. And what in the heck is going on when Joel Embiid is on the bench? Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat. You know, some of these are more fun to do than others, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network, uh, as always. And head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat. You can get a 50% discount on a yearly subscription, which means you can read Rich point out everything that went wrong in that Detroit Pistons game. And what I was about to say was that some of these, like the last podcast, which we seemingly just did like a couple days ago, are positive. And we're like, hey, this should be a pretty positive podcast. And then they went out there and got smoked by the previously 3-13 and 13 Detroit Pistons, losing by 15 points. And quite frankly, it, it wasn't all that competitive. Like there was no point. Like they kept making runs to get it back into like single digits. But at no point did you ever feel like, hey, they have this. They have a, they have a run in them. They're going to come back. They were just not competitive against a really bad basketball team. But how you doing, Rich? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. It's uh yeah, as far as NBA teams go, you know, obviously 82 games, there's going to be some shooting luck involved. There's going to be some vol- volatility. I can't imagine there's a team that really just goes from shit to pretty good, back to crap. Than the Sixers. I, I mean, some of these games without Embiid, it's just like, it's, it's not even like you can say, okay, you know, the shots didn't fall or whatever. Like, they're just not even close to competitive in these games. <laughs> those games were hard. I mean, that game was hard to watch. Yeah. That is the type of game that I wish I was a fan and I could just turn the damn thing off in the <laughs> second quarter because I know it's not going to finish um, yeah. out well. And it's... Yeah, there's been a even in their twelve and six start this year. That's uh, that's happened a couple times already, and that's the uh, that's the story of the season so far. Yeah, yeah, it is high level stats. You brought it up. They are twelve and six. That includes the fourteenth ranked offense, the fifth ranked defense, um, and some other stuff thrown in there. Twenty seventh in turnovers, which we're pretty much accustomed to. Uh, second in getting into the free throw line, which is nice counteract some of those turnover problems fourth and pace which i'm a little surprised at some good some bad still 21st in three-point attempt rate they are about a mid-pack team in terms of shooting the three but overall a 12 and 6 record but still to the point where i don't know what this team is um and i say that like i if you had to ask me i still think they are a second or maybe best case a conference finals exit i don't believe in them as a uh, title contender uh, and nothing they have done here in that 12 and six start has completely pushed me off of that. Uh, it would be a pretty high burden of proof to get me to that point. Uh, and they certainly haven't done that yet. Let's get into that first mailbag question because that's really the only lens I want to discuss. Yeah, this we, game through. we can't, we can't discuss that whole thing. We can't do it. Um, all right. So this one from uh, Brian to uh, at B to 
on Twitter. Go follow him if you're not an excellent Sixers writer. Should there be concern about how the Sixers play in non-Embiid minutes? Rich, go ahead. I'm, I'm going to turn my mic off and just go make a sandwich. I'll come back when you're done ranting. <laughs> you know, Doc Rivers isn't concerned. I asked him about it after the game. He's not concerned. Not yet, at least. Doc, I feel like sometimes you could ask him, hey, Doc, your house is on fire. Are you, are you concerned about yeah, it? No, 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 not yet. Why it would it I might be, be on fire, but it's only one room of the house that's on fire. The rest of it's fine so far. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I, look, that's, we, we've talked about it before. That's the Doc Rivers experience. He's not going to freak out about bad performances in the regular season, even when, I don't know, I'm just annoyed after watching that game. So you asked the question, are you concerned at all watching this crap? I think uh, Spike Eskin made this point on Twitter, so I will give him credit for it. You're all for whoa, whoa, Embiid. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If he doesn't acknowledge his fucking podcast, you don't have to acknowledge his tweets. Let's just get that out of the way. But go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. His tagline is the only Sixers podcast. Yeah, I mean. I don't so, really some care. some radio guy on Twitter said something. Go ahead. Let me tee you up. You can, you can edit that out if you want. <laughs> um, person X said, you know, you're all for Embiid sitting out the occasional game as has been the case this year. And I support him sitting out the occasional game, especially after the, I don't want to say beating he took against yeah, Boston. Boston. He, in Even Detroit, the, it's weird that he played the, the back-to-back game, but then sat out the next one. I don't know. That, that was a little weird to me, but whatever. I, I support him sitting out games from time to time. But then you actually have to watch the games. And you have to watch the Sixers play without Embiid. And that's tough. I mean, and, and unfortunately, like I know he was in foul trouble in that game against Detroit. But Ben Simmons is the first person I'm going to go to. I mean, this is where you can see other second options that are making max or near max money where they're ahead of him. I mean, how many how many points is Chris Middleton putting up against Detroit yeah. in that game if Giannis is out? 35? 40? You know, we saw what Jalen Brown did with Jason Brown, or uh, sorry, with Jason Tatum out of the lineup. Even Bam Adebayo at this point, he's probably going to give you 25 points on decent efficiency. And Ben Simmons, 11 and 4. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's against Blake Griffin, who unfortunately looks like he's completely washed up after that great season two years ago, and then he got injured. I mean, he's defending him under the basket, and Ben Simmons has no answer. And I know Ben Simmons battle foul trouble. I wasn't that crazy about Doc giving him the quick hooks right away after his second and third fouls. Considering just, I mean, the offense was completely lost without him as a shot creator, so this isn't to say, you know, Ben Simmons, the Sixers were better with him out there. No, he was... I mean, single game plus minus, whatever, but he was minus two, which I think was the best number on the team besides Tony Bradley. So he just didn't play enough minutes. And my God, was that foul against Blake Griffin, the third one. I don't know what those two have against each other. I know they had the same ex-girlfriend. I don't know why they hate each other, but he got into a wrestling match with Blake Griffin at the elbow when he had two fouls. What are you doing, man? You have to play. Um, It just wasn't a smart play. So... You know, at this point, are we to believe that the Sixers need Shake Milton to have a 30-point game for them to keep it close without Embiid? Because it looks like it right now. And I don't know. It's just, it's tough. I mean, some some of the stats 
cleaning the glass, the Sixers are 22.1 points per 100 possessions better with Embiid on the floor. They go from the Lakers when he plays to the Timberwolves, and that's ironic because those are the next two opponents the Sixers have, (laughs) but the best team in the league to the worst team in the league when he sits, and that is a problem. Yeah, so here's some of the numbers, and if these are different than what you see on NBA.com, that's because uh, cleaning the glass, which is what we're going off of, basically cleans out garbage time, uh, and we can... It's a, it should be a little more representative of, of, of when the games actually matter. So their offense goes from a 117.6 with him on the court, which is in the 86th percentile, to a 103.6 when he Ugh. is on the bench, which is in the 11th percentile. Their defense goes from 105.7 points per 100 possessions allowed, which is, eight, again, 87th, to 113.8, which is 29th. So overall, you're going from an 11.9, a positive 11.9 net rating, with him on the court to a negative 10.2 when he is off the court. You're going from legitimately one of the best teams in the league that plus 11.9 out of all lineups in the league that have played at least 15 possessions. That is in the 94th percentile uh, to a what a negative 10.2, which is in the 10th percentile. You're, you're going from, like you said, the Lakers to the Timberwolves. I don't know if you've been following the Timberwolves lately, but they're a disaster right they now. They suck. <laughs> they are not good. And this was a problem we thought that the Sixers had fixed last year. And to be frank, they did fix it to some degree last year when they added Al Horford, who for as much as he was a bad fit next to Embiid in the starting lineup, was a real good fit next to Simmons in place of Embiid in the starting lineup. So they were able to tread water a little bit better, a lot better than they have been right now. Uh, the overall trade-off, I think, is worth it. Um, I mean, if they don't have him beat in the playoffs, they're fucked anyway. So you might as well compliment him as well as you can. Good analysis there. <laughs> this is sort of like the trade-off, though. When you get pieces that fit your star, your superstar better, you become more reliant on that superstar. And I think the addition of, you know, Seth Curry and Danny Green, which we'll get to both of them in a bit. But I think they do complement Embiid well. But I think when they're when you're not on the court, you start seeing some of those deficiencies come through. And Ben just wasn't, he wasn't good enough creating offense last night to overcome that. Part of that um, was because of foul trouble. A part of that was he just wasn't playing all that well when he wasn't even in the game. It's, but I mean, it's like you said, they're 0 3, well, 0 4 technically, if you want to count that Denver game. Don't count it. Nobody thinks that game should count, not the coaches, nobody. Um, I would bet you if you ask them with some truth serum, they're still a little bitter about that, but whatever. We're, we're trying to navigate this. But those other three losses have been dreadful. And even in the games when Embiid's available and it's just when he's off the floor, they're not playing well either. It has not been... And I guess we can get into a little... What have your thoughts been? Because I think at the beginning of the season, we were like, okay, well, Dwight's playing pretty well. Uh, He's not playing a whole lot with Simmons. What would be your updated take on that right now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly a concern. That, That was a lot of Dwight Howard in the second game against Detroit. And Dwight, frankly, over the past couple of weeks has not been as good as he was in the preseason and to start the year. And in a lot of ways, it's not surprising that the Sixers suck with and beat off the floor. We we kind of saw this coming with our preseason analysis, I would say. Like when you, when you look back at the move to bring in Horford, one of the main objectives was to remedy how shitty they were yeah. when Embiid was off the court. They said that. 
Embiid said that. Embiid even said, well, I'm going to be less stubborn this year. This was prior to the 2019-20 season. I'm going to be less stubborn because now I know that they can hold the fort down when, when I sit. And that wasn't the case all the time in past years. And you know what? They did. Last year was a bad season. It was obviously a super long season because of the COVID absence too. But I, th- I looked this up last night. They went 9-7 and seven in the games that Embiid missed, but Simmons played. And there were some good wins there. I mean, they won that great Nets game on Martin Luther King Day a season ago where Simmons was all over the place. And by the way, Simmons was leading the charge a lot of these times. He had that great Saturday night primetime game against the Lakers where he was just dominant. And, uh, you know, the Simmons-Horford lineups were legitimately good. Even though anecdotally, I remember some tough games, and that's because Horford, despite losing a step, could play credible defense at the five, and he dragged the opposing center out to the three-point line. So, you know, then we see Dwight Howard come in, and I'm pretty sure our analysis at the time was, okay, that's a nice signing for the minimum, but what happens if he plays with Ben Simmons on backup units, because that's the way this Sixers team has worked over past years. It's been, it's been Embiid and Simmons minutes. It's been Embiid minutes and it's been Simmons minutes. Those are the three shifts that they have. So what happens during the Simmons minutes? If he plays with Dwight Howard, who is the opposite of Al Horford does not drag people out to the three point line at all. And here's what the answer has been so far. The Sixers don't think they can play together because they're putting Simmons and Embiid, they're, they're almost tethering their minutes together. They are creating these all-bench lineups, which I think is more of a reaction to, we don't want to play Simmons and Howard together. But then you get these games where they have to play Howard the entire game because Embiid is out, and those games suck. Those games suck. So, yeah, I, I guess my whole reaction to it is, if Simmons is on this team come playoff time, and I think there's a good chance of that. I'm just just put, putting it out there. If he's on this team, I think they're going to need somebody who can stretch the floor if they actually really want to maximize what this team can do in the playoffs. Yeah. Because the idea of him and Howard playing any minutes in the playoffs seems like a disaster. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, Use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TA Basketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget 
If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, if, if you go back, like our concern was, um, you know, that Howard is overqualified to be a backup center, but the fit with Simmons is real tough. And so far, you know, they have gotten, for as much as they've gone out of their way to, to tether and beat in Simmons. You know, if you look at the numbers with Simmons and Howard on the floor, but without Joel Embiid there, which, I mean, should be all of it. You should never have Simmons, Howard, and be, oh, God, that would be a catastrophe. But they have had 264 possessions. Um, so it's not, in free, like, that's about two and a half games worth of possessions. And you're talking about a, right now they have a negative 12.9 net rating when Simmons and Howard are on the floor without Embiid. And you're talking about a 105.7 offensive rating and a 118.6 defensive rating, which is just atrocious. I mean, it is mind-bogglingly bad. They can't guard. It's crazy. Yeah. And like, right, I actually looked up the, you know how they have the um, defensive field goal percentage against uh, shots at the rim when blah, blah, blah's in the vicinity. Dwight Howard's numbers are actually really good. But going by what I'm seeing, he, he doesn't look like he is as explosive as he once was in terms of quickness getting off the ground. He doesn't look like he can test quite as many shots. And he's out of position uh, for somebody who's as experienced as he is. He certainly seems like he gets caught out of position going for blocks that he, at this point in his career, should know better than to go for. Yeah, and look, I'd like to see the numbers on... Okay, yeah, they missed the shot when he was near the basket, but that's because he sold out. He wasn't near the and basket, he ended up yeah. in the he ended up in the first row, missing the block. He forced a missed shot, but his guy was there to lay yeah. the ball back in the basket. He doesn't say. I'm, look, I'm not saying he's a bad defender, but so far those lineups with with Simmons and Embiid or Simmons and Howard have not been competitive defensively. And if they're not going to be competitive, like they have to be really good defensively to make up for the fact that you have two complete non shooters on the floor and no real reliable shot creators, they haven't been anywhere near that defensively. And that is a, a, a real legitimate concern. Um, you know, look, I still stick by Dwight Howard is qualified to be a backup center. I do worry that that fit with Simmons is so poor. And look, I don't think you're, I, I, I and I know doc likes these all bench units. He, he, he really likes them and he can go back to the Clippers days. He likes, he likes forming that sort of identity. In the playoffs, you are going to stagger Embiid and Simmons more. Even if that's just because you're going to you know, extend Embiid's initial run or extend Simmons' initial run, you need those two to be able to play together, and I have my concerns for sure. And, and Dwight, just in general, forget about with Simmons, without Simmons, he just has not been as good recently as he was to start the year, and that is concerning as well. Oh, yeah, out of position, fouling a lot, getting his shorts ripped. Although, to be fair, he got called for a foul on that play. That was pretty ridiculous. That one looked like Isaiah Stewart. Fouled him, considering he ripped his shorts off. If your shorts get ripped off, it's hard for you to have committed the foul. That seems like that should be a pretty safe bet. Yeah, I'm happy he was wearing tights on, underneath. Yes. That oh, too. Only on one leg. It was real close. Yeah, real yeah, close was, to being an issue. Yeah, good thing it wasn't the uh, the old right leg. So Simmons, yeah, like you said, Simmons Howard lineups minus twelve point nine per hundred. Doc went with Tony Bradley to start the second half of that game. And he said, I just like Dwight with the second unit. And I do too, because he can play with Shake Milton and Tyrese Maxey, who are better pick and roll threats than Ben Simmons yeah. and might be able to hit him with the lob. By the way, Tobias Harris is, is playing very well this year. His pick and roll chemistry with Howard is bad. <laughs> He's just, he is not making any 
on target passes at all no. to to Dwight. And that's that's fine. That's a little bit of an aside. So yeah, Simmons non MB lineups this year, minus fifteen point five per hundred. And that's, you know, a couple more, you know, add in some non Dwight minutes in there too. I mean, just barfing all over each other. Last season, plus two point two yeah. points per hundred. They relatively figured that out. Not to say that they were blowing teams out when Joe sat last year. Not to say that they were Toronto when Kawhi was sitting 17 and four, that type of thing, but they were bad in previous years and they had certainly gotten it to, okay, this is acceptable. This is fine. Um, And not with like the fire going all around you. This is fine. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's early in the season. You would like to see better from uh, from the Sixers. I you would just hope that they some of these lineups would normalize a little bit. But I gotta say, they have not played good teams in these games either. Like they've gotten their ass kicked by Detroit. They got their ass kicked by Cleveland. Yeah. They played Memphis, who's fine, I guess. You know, whatever. It's a uh, it's a concern, and it's you know it's one of these weird things where. Like you so eloquently said earlier, if they don't have Joel Embiid in the playoffs, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how they play without Embiid because they're not going to go that far. But it's just annoying. Like, give me it's, 10 fucking minutes, though, you know? You can't have like, a Greg Monroe situation again. Yeah, this is, I mean, and this is worse at this point than the Greg Monroe situation, at least in the regular season. I mean, this is this is just uncompetitive basketball at this point, so... Part of me wants to stress, okay, a little bit of patience. They'll get a little bit better at this. But I would suspect, just because, like you said, they built this lineup with Danny Green and Seth Curry and these shooters that are meant to play around Embiid and around Simmons, um, that group is going to struggle when Embiid is gone. He He covers up a lot of their weaknesses and he frankly covers up some of Simmons weaknesses too. So that, uh, that is where I stand. It's a problem. Do you, uh, so at this point, like, are you thinking definitely going to need a stretch five by the time the playoffs come? I would, I would, at this point I would say that is a, a real target. Yeah. I don't know about definitely like, we'll see if, 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 Maybe Dwight can back to playing well when when he's playing with Shake and 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 Maxi. It's a real possibility. I don't know about definite. We'll see if if they can recover some of that ground in between shit show and 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 good enough. Um, but it's a concern. Yeah. I mean, get me back to eighteen nineteen, really bad. You know that yeah. that's like three notches up from where they are now. I don't know. It's it's quite frankly, I'm and like I said, we we expressed concerns before the season started. It has been worse than I expected, and and that's even after the first maybe week of the season where it looked it looked like it might actually be passable, uh, and it has gone in the other direction since. All right, let's move on to a a a, a slightly more optimistic topic. Um, from Matt Hardgrove, uh, Tobias is having a pretty good start to the season, not justifying the contract, but he's playing much better than last year. Um, have your expectations expectations change for him for the rest of the season. Do you expect more out of Tobias Harris based on what he's given you so far? A little bit, but not really. Yeah. Not really. I, I mean, 
it would be nice if in the playoff series, and he's not going to have that level of responsibility if Simmons and Embiid are uh, are both healthy, but I, I just want him to score 20 points on 16 shots in, in a playoff series. I want yeah. him to be essentially like an innings eater, you know, um, when the Sixers, you know, they, they've had these lineups over the past couple of nights where it's Tobias and all bench units, you know, maybe that's the solution. Maybe he can soak up a couple of possessions because, because again, he, he can't throw a good pick and roll pass to Dwight Howard, but it's at least a better fit than Simmons and Howard because he can shoot. He can get his own shot. Um, but no, like, like, do I think he is going to turn into a bona fide number one scoring option in the ilk of Jimmy Butler? No, I don't. Yeah, I, it, it would take a lot for me to completely change my expectations for Tobias, especially when we're talking about a playoff run. Look, he's playing much better. I think I'm a little more confident in him being a good version of Tobias in the playoffs than I previously was, just because I think the role he's in right now better suits him. But am I going to completely change what I expect? And I think part of the reason he's having some success right now is they've simplified his game a little bit. They're not asking him to create quite as much as they did in previous years. Uh, so I wouldn't, even if I did have more confidence in him, I wouldn't raise my expectations too much because I don't want to take him out of the groove that he's in. Um, so I want to see more. I want to see how he reacts when you start playing the meteor schedule. I want to see how, quite frankly, reacts in the playoffs. Like no matter, almost no matter what he does in the regular season, I'm going to have a little bit of skepticism until he does it against an elite team, elite defensive team for a seven game series. Uh, the, the, I'm going to playoff series lately have just been that bad. So no, I wouldn't. I I would say I'm optimistic by the start that he gave, but my expectations would not change substantially yet. They, um, his his defense has been pretty good. I yeah. would say for him, and Again. like he he seems like last year at the beginning of the season he was pretty impressive defensively too. We'll see if he sustains that. Honestly, my defense, if his offense was what they thought, if his offense stays where it is, his defense is fine. I'll I'll live with that. I'll live with that. But yeah, what what happens to when he stops shooting forty six percent or whatever? Yeah, that's yeah. pretty. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good and pretty good for mid range too. Uh, let's see. From Jens, should we be at all concerned about Danny Green potentially being washed? And how many minutes do you think Shake will get when the playoffs start? Uh, there's a lot of time between now and the playoffs. We'll skip that one for now. But Danny Green washed. Concerned? Yeah, harsh but fair, Jens. Uh, I am a Danny Green proponent. I've said that a few times on this pod. Whew, the last few games have been pretty rough for him. and Pretty rough defensively, too, and that's where the concern comes in. Yep. And my problem with him is he seems like a man without an island on – or a man without a country on uh, on defense because you put him out on an island against Jalen Brown, like a one-on-one physical score. He's got no shot, but – then you have him play against Wayne Ellington and Jalen Brown, Wayne Ellington. What one of those? One of those things is not like the other. He can't really chase Wayne Ellington around screens either. And um, people have noted that his running form is looks a little bit labored. I'll say uh, he uh, he's not the quickest moving around those screens. So my question for him is, and I wrote about this in my piece at the Athletic today. If he can't guard either of those players. Is he really only valuable against a stationary shooter that he can help off a little bit, a non-threat, maybe a 
four. I, I don't know. But the, the other problem with that is those type of players are not all that common around the NBA. And the Sixers already have a player in the starting lineup who's going to guard the worst guy. That's going to be Seth Curry's job. Like if the other team is a bad offensive player, as long as they're not insanely taller than him and can post him up very easily, Seth Curry is going to get that role. So you run into a, a problem with, okay, Ben Simmons is, is very good and he's going to take the toughest matchup. Who's Danny Green guarding? And I mean, he just looked bad. Like Wayne Ellington, there, there was a clip. I mean, first off, it was, I think it was two plays in the first three minutes or so. First play, Doc Rivers said that they had prepared for that one. Danny Green fell asleep and Wayne Ellington ran uh, through an elevator doors type of play. But there was another one that was like a floppy type of action where Wayne Ellington cut one way. Wayne Ellington, Danny Green's former UNC teammate 8,000 years ago, um, cut one way and then went the other one. Danny Green was like, I mean, he was like spinning. He had no idea where Ellington had gone. So I worry a little bit about his ability to recover and, and track some of these shooters. So, yeah, I am uh, I am worried about him looking washed. Um, I still think he should play all that stuff. But, yeah, worried about him looking washed. And I am more worried about him looking washed on the defensive end than on offense. Yeah. Offensively, I think he's mostly – like when we had the predictions before the season – and I said I was concerned that fans would freak out about him and panic. It's more because I, I thought he would hit a shooting slump, and that's when you would see his limitations offensively come into play. Well, he hit that shooting slump at the beginning of the season. He's come back, and I think now he's pretty much in a 36 37% from three range. On career high volume, too. So. Yeah, so that, that that's pretty fine. Good. The shots are fine. And it still makes him a pretty good fit offensively when Joe's on, on, on the court. Um, but defensively, he has not been anywhere near. And look— if, I think if you'd watch him last year, I think he had taken a step back here in the previous couple of years. A slow, gradual decline, but not the defender he was five years ago. And I do worry a little bit that that sort of slow, gradual decline has sped up a little bit this season. And maybe that is just some of the um, you know condensed schedule, the short off season. Maybe that's just age. Who knows? Um, but am I concerned? Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned. Um, not panicky yet. But certain because he's still he still has he's still big enough and long enough and smart enough where on the right matchup he can be a, a contributor defensively. It's just those those matchups are going to be there's not going to be as many of them in the playoffs. So yeah, there's concern, not panic, but concern. Danny Green makes me laugh probably about three or four times a game, not because of anything he does during play, but man, he complains and asks for challenges and complains about some ridiculous shit like <laughs> he'll hammer a guy on defense yeah. and he'll give the the yeah. twirl fingers motion to doc rivers and doc rivers looks at him like all right easy buddy uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't really think we're going to uh to challenge that and yeah he's, he's he works the refs pretty good too and works the refs pretty good when i think it's justified on behalf behalf of his teammates but yeah and i, I guess you said we're not going to talk about shake but just one quick note on him I got him at 18, 21, and 22 minutes over the last three games. And to be fair, he was in foul trouble in the 22-minute uh, game. Need more. I, he has not played well in those no. games either. Like, he, he has struggled. I actually thought towards the, the end of the second game against Boston, 
there was like a nice moment where he had struggled a couple times in the pick and roll, and then he made a really nice cross court pass, and, and Doc was coaching him along during that. Doc needs to play him a few more minutes than that because he's he's better. He's he needs to play that much. Yeah, he he's the only one that really gives you that skill set and is that unique for sure, for sure. Um, all right, this one's sort of related to the previous question. Do you foresee many scenarios where Danny Green, Danny Green is on a team past a trade deadline from a long-term cap situation? Wouldn't it make sense to trade his expiring for players under contract for multiple years? You take this one. Well, so like there are scenarios I can certainly see Danny Green not being on the team. You know, I think what he's getting at is the fact that he's an expiring contract. There is some benefit to bring him back because you'd have his bird rights and be able to, um, to sign him not using your, um, taxpayer mid-level so that does like if you have interest in danny green as a player on next year's team you would not necessarily just want to trade him but the scenario i would say first of all i think there's a chance he's traded in part because he is a you can match his salary uh or you can use his salary to match another contract in a trade he's salary filler that would be the most likely reason he's traded the reason he wouldn't be traded is if doc rivers thinks he can help him with a title run so if 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 Theoretically, if you're going to trade him for somebody that's younger and under contract for multiple years, which is what this is suggesting, you're not getting a great player back. You're getting probably a bad contract um, that might be a little better of a contributor, but that the other team doesn't want around long term. You know, would would it? Some of that I think would come down to Doc and and whether or not they think Danny can help them with a, a title run. Um, and look, Danny Green doesn't have a whole lot of trade value right now. So like the pool of players you could trade him for that are under contract for multiple years and aren't dog shit probably isn't all that high. So, uh, yeah, I could, I could see, I could see him being on a team longer than the trade deadline. And that's just because I think he can be a role player on a good team. Would would it make sense to just let him play the season and have his salary come off the books? I mean, well, I mean that, that, that's a big wild card. Like how much do we really trust Josh Harris, like, let's say they trade Danny Green for, like, a contract that costs $10 million to cap, to cap next year. That's going to be 25 or whatever million that Josh Harris is going to pay because of luxury taxes. Are we confident Josh Harris is going to be like, yeah, I spend 25 more million of my dollars? I don't know. We haven't seen Josh Harris in this situation. I, I don't know how much they're going to be willing and able to, not able, willing to add on, on guaranteed contract for next year. I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. a great question. And is there a a trade that moves the needle where maybe you get that player who's making 10 million. What, what other compensation or yeah. do you have to attach to Danny green? There's there's so many different aspects to this that it's hard to even hypothesize. Um, but yeah, they, don't, it, it they is, don't have a lot of second round picks anymore, man. No, no, they have their own, but are they done with the Knicks? Didn't they have the Knicks for like four years in a row? Are they, they have they finally done with that. They have one more Knicks. Okay. One, okay. Which if it's this year, yeah, I just not, had this up. It's not as good, which is weird. No. I have it. I have it up right here. Yeah, they have this year's Knicks pick. Up, oh, this is the year the Knicks are good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they they had like early '30s picks for three straight. They traded one of them for Trevor Booker, but they had early '30s picks for like three straight years. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, it's he could be moved. I think more likely in a trade for a you know to match salary. Um, but we'll see. I don't. I don't think they're just going to get rid of him just to get something back for next year. All right, this one is uh, from Ben Simons, um, P-S-Y-M-O-N-S. Do you see Seth Curry being a longtime sixer? I think this one is probably pretty straightforward. 
Yes. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's like, uh, could he be traded? Sure, but I think his his value on an Embiid a team focused around Embiid is greater than on other teams. I think he's on a good contract that has two more years left after this one. So yes, I do think that odds are, unless like he becomes a sticking point in a trade, I think he's going to be on a sixer. Like I, that is not a contract. They're going to be like, we need to get off of that contract. Unless Josh Harris is just like, I'm bleeping sick of paying money. That other than that, there's like, it's a good contract on a person that fits really well. Yeah. And, and whether or not, he pays the luxury tax next year. I don't think he's going to get that sick of, uh, of paying money. No, he better not. Um, that is a below mid-level contract for a guy who fits your franchise player exceptionally well. Also, if, if doc really can veto some of these, these trades with Maury, I mean, that's one, my son-in-law, I think more, my, I, I can't I think, see my grandson anymore. Yeah. I think they will be aligned on that one. I think, I think Seth will be here for as long as Embiid's here and Embiid's, the one person who, like, if you told me anyone on team could be traded by a trade deadline, the only one I would be stunned at is Embiid. So that means Curry is 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 going to be valued for quite a while. So, well, the other thing, too, is, as you said, they're, what, 21st in three-point frequency? I Look, I think Daryl Morey's head is not, like, exploding at all of these shots. That's just kind of a joke we've made for a little while, but... I don't think I he's think, thrilled I, with it. I don't think he's thrilled with it, and... Seth Curry is the guy who's even taking it up that high. So, yeah, he's, uh, I mean, when you say long-term, do I think he's going to be here past this season? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's see here. Okay. We'll end it on this one. This one from, from Dean. Is Ben Simmons overrated or underrated? Uh, come on. We can't end on this one. Why not? Because it's, I mean, honestly, it probably would entail a four-hour podcast. (laughs) Honestly, I thought the answer to that one was real simple. Yes. Yes, he's overrated. Yes. And underrated. Yeah, I mean, it's, it depends. he's the weirdest player ever. I don't know. One one person will say he sucks and he adds no value. And the other person will be like, he's a top 10 player. And there is an abundance of both of those people in Sixers fandom. There's an abundance of both of those people in league wide, both not only fandom but also people who who cover the league, there is a very wide range of opinions on Ben Simmons, which is honestly why I thought this was a somewhat interesting question, because the answer is it depends on who you're talking to. Like I certainly think there are some people who overlook what he has become defensively, who overlook the value that his court vision can add, but there's a very real concern of how much does that matter in the half court in the playoffs. And I think if you ignore either of those two, you can underrate or overrate him. So I think, yes, he is underrated, and yes, he is overrated. He's the most divisive player in the league. I don't even think it's close. Yeah. I mean, I I just think it's—if you made me default, I would probably say, because we're arguing about him so much, he's probably a little bit overrated just because he's tough to build around. And if you were to build a team, you know, I hear a lot of people say— Oh, well, let's give give Ben Simmons his own team. And, you know, I I think that would be, as a neutral, I understand why a lot of people would want to see that. It it just, to me, putting that right group around him seems tough. But like, yeah. But hey, like, you know, we we already mentioned on the pod, what were they with Horford and him last year? Again, pretty good. Against a lot of backup units. They were, but they were like plus seven points per 100 possessions with, with him. So 
the idea that it, you can't build a good team around Ben Simmons as the engine, but uh, again, we could break this up into, I mean, like a, a five-hour podcast, but we're not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you could certainly build a playoff team around Ben. I think you can certainly build a 50-win team with Ben as a key, key contributor. The question is, can you get to a championship level? And I think he has grown in terms of his willingness to share time with ball handler. And I think that would be key, but you would need a pretty high level ball handler. And him is sort of like your only non-shooting big to get to that point where I think you can be a, a championship contender. And it would be tough, not impossible, but tough. Uh, it would be fascinating. I mean, it, he's, he's an interesting player. It's he's, if we didn't have to debate him, all day, every day, I would probably love debating Ben Simmons because he has such serious strengths and weaknesses. You just don't, you don't have to build around non-shooting players ever in this league. And he would be, uh, he would be unique in that regard. You know what's funny though? What other I, top 20 player can't shoot? I don't know. I think Rudy Gobert would be like the next one you get to. Uh, however, wherever you rate him. It, it's funny though. Like I, I will read national writers, I will listen to them on podcasts, people who I, I respect their opinions. And sometimes they say stuff about Simmons that I'm just like, I can't believe how off these people are. <laughs> there are people this year that say, oh, I, th- I think he's playing pretty good. Yeah. And I'm thinking like for him, like, no, no, he's not. Yeah. Um, I got into a debate recently. People are like, oh, well, I think it was brought up by Dietrich. Oh, he's got a career high free throw rate. Well, Free throw rate, I guess, if, if you're not like, and technically his free throws per possession are, I think, marginally at a career high. Like we're talking like maybe a half of a free throw per 100 possessions higher than his previous high. But free throw rate is a percentage is, is, is a, it's, it's a percentage. It's free throw attempts per field goal attempt. Yeah. Well, if you take less shots, then take fewer. The easiest way to, to, to drop your or increase your free throw rate is to take fewer field goal attempts and specifically to take fewer of the field goal attempts that you're unlikely to get fouled on a.k.a. jump shots or floaters, which he has almost completely cut out of his game. So the fact that he is getting the, his free throw rate has been increased is more of a sign of the fact that he is more passive than he has really ever been in the half court. So do you give him credit for that? No, not really. Like, it's not like he's he's creating free throw attempts. He's just taking away completely away those shots that he was unlikely to get fouled in in the first place. I just I just wish he would throw up a 30 and 10 in that game. Yeah. Last night. As you know, something like he's done before. I'm thinking last year's Lakers game, or remember that game three in Brooklyn, whenever that series was, yep. where Joe was hurt and he sat out. Which, by the way, was a one-one series at the time too. It wasn't even like, and they went on winning that series in five. But like that was a high leverage game. Yeah, that was awesome, but it's just not consistent enough. Early so. Miami series when Joe was Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Yeah, he was very good in some of those games too. Very interesting player. I hope I hope he gets back to 100%. If he's not, um I hope that he regains his confidence that he had there for five quarters, which was nice to see. But you certainly need it more often than that. All right, I think that's a good place to cut it off as doing this one late at night. Thank you Rich for jumping on and we will talk to you soon. See you man.